Good morning, everyone. Um, thanks, Dara, for, for leading us today and for reading Psalm 27, which is where we're at. And I often think if, if, you know, all the people in this room, just ask yourself the question, if you were ever marooned on an island and you were asked to take one book of the Bible with you, which one would it be? It's a hard question, isn't it? We have so many favorites and there's such, which? Hey, right answer. <laughs> Top marks. <laughs> like, yeah, they're great. The Psalms are great. Some people, though, they love the history of the Old Testament. Some people love the epistles. Some love prophecy. But it's, it's amazing. You know, I think our God really as our father and our provider, he knows that his children have a wide variety of interests in food, <laughs> interests in, uh, in the Bible, what, 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 um, what really gets us excited, you know? We all have different ways of thinking. We have different minds, and therefore the God of creation, our God, has given us many different goodies. But today we are in the Psalms, um, as Dara read, the Psalm 27th, uh, which is a lovely Psalm. I think we can see many, many things in it. We can see sort of a, the highs and lows of David's emotions going through the Psalm. But let's first of all just make a few quick observations about it before we get into it. My Bible actually um, the, the titles it, The Lord is My Light and My Salvation. Um, I don't know what Bible you have or what the title is, but another couple of titles I saw in my studies were Confidence in the Lord, and a third title might be, and this one's a bit long-winded, but it's very good, The Essential Ingredient, Faith Working by Prayer. So as we track through the actual uh, psalm in a few minutes, um, we'll have a look and see in your own mind which of those you think might be most suited, and I'm sure there are many others as well. The Lord is my light and my salvation, confidence in the Lord, and the essential ingredient, faith working by prayer. Speaking of which, I forgot to pray, so we'll continue with the overview in a few seconds. Father God, um, we just thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you for your nature and your character. Um, we thank you over anything else, I think, Lord, that you are a God who shares. Uh, you're not sitting on your throne in heaven, um, admiring yourself in the mirror every morning, thinking, what a great, righteous, and holy God I am. You have decided in your mystery, Lord, and in your character to share your love with us, a rebellious creature, um, right from uh, the first pages of your diary, the Bible to the last pages, uh, we see that you are a God who uh, desires uh, to rebuild fellowship with us again, uh, your creation. Um, and it's an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought, and we're always mystified by it. I am anyways, that um, you would want to have fellowship with me. Uh, but Father, that's what you have desired, and um, I have to walk in faith with that, and I have to um, look at myself and speak firmly with me now and again when I don't see myself as you see me and say, well, look at Lord, uh, you desire to be with me and that's enough for me. Help me to walk in faith with you. So, Father, as we come today to your word again, um, let us just thank you for it, that it encourages us so much uh, and that you desire uh, for us to read it regularly so that it is like spiritual food for us, that we may get to know you better. And um, 
are able to encourage others more by being encouraged through your word and by you. Lord, in these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's continue with our few observations. Um, we can divide this psalm into four sections. I'm sure uh, if you were to read differing commentaries, uh, they will divide them differently, but this is the one that I've been running with during the week in my preparation. Verses 1 to 3, David makes a claim. And by the way, each one of these claims, um, we can claim it for ourselves. We can put ourselves in David's shoes and say, as in the first particular title, I have confidence in the Lord, verses 1 to 3. Uh, the second section, verses 4 to 6, we can say, God, be near to me. The third section, 7 to 12, we can say, God, answer me. So section 2 and section 3 are actually prayers by David, slightly different. And the fourth section, it's only two verses, 13 and 14, we can say, wait on the Lord. So we don't know why David really wrote this particular psalm, even though we have a pretty okay inkling that it might be because of verse 12. If you want to cast your eyes quickly down there, David complains that there are enemies who are spreading false rumors and lies about him, false witnesses. So the people that know things about these things think that that might possibly be the best reason why David wrote this particular psalm. Apart from that, we know very, else, very little about it. We don't know what period of his life it was written in. Again, we could possibly guess, but that would be a guess. But we do know from verse 1 that at least David wrote it. So in this psalm, like the psalms, most of the psalms that David wrote, or all of them, we can, we can, they're like a window, really. They're like a looking glass that we can look in and see David's very soul. And I think this is one of the things that appeals to me personally about the Psalms, is that when I'm reading the Psalms, I'm putting myself in David's shoes. I'm, I'm with him when he's wrestling. I'm with him when, he, when he's celebrating. I'm with him when he's victorious. I'm with him when he's crying. And I'm with him when he's exuberant and just plain happy. And I think that's what appeals to many people about the Psalms, is that they fire up our emotions, perhaps more so than... Romans that might fire up our logic, or we might admire the logic of Paul's argument going through Romans. But let's look at the first section, I have confidence in you, God, verses 1 to 3. So these verses, I mean, if we were to read verses 1 to 3 just on their own, we would come away pumped up saying, way to go, David. He says, I have confidence in God. Verse 1, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? Now, salvation in the context of this particular psalm, and it's used twice here, it's also used in verse 9, isn't necessarily salvation from sin, but it's salvation from his enemies, some sort of predicament that he was in, something concrete. And in typical Hebrew poetry, we read the second part of that verse, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So Hebrew poetry works on this premise that the second part often of a verse reinforces or echoes or reflects or parallels the first part. So we can see here that David now says that God is his stronghold. And stronghold is this idea of a place of refuge where no one can touch you. So what David is saying here is that God, you're my comfort. 
that's sort of shown in the word light. By the way, it's the only place in the Old Testament where God is called light. We have it many times in the New Testament. And God says, you are my, or David says, you're my deliverer and you're my stronghold. Now, despite his enemies, and this psalm is full of um, references to his enemies, despite his enemies trying to uh, consume or kill him or eat his flesh, we might remember if when we see that particular word uh, or that particular uh, concern of David, that his flesh would be consumed, when we read David and Goliath scrapping in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember, Goliath comes out and he says to David, Come to me, he says to David, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, the interesting thing about, <clears throat> and we'll see it more in this psalm in a second, the interesting thing about David is when he prayed to the God, when he prayed to his God to be delivered from his enemies, he often prayed that the wicked intentions that they had for him would return on himself. And it's interesting that when Goliath was shaping up to kill David, when he was teasing and taunting him. It's really funny and ironic that the very method by which he was killed was by his sword, which David took. A picture, so to speak, of David returning the ill that Goliath wished on him back on himself. And we have to think that David was a man who killed giants. But his life was full of trials. Now, we in this room at this particular time might have trials. Some of us, depending on the life circumstances, deeper than others. But just let's remind ourselves, for someone who might not be familiar with David, some of the trials that he went through. Because his life was hallmarked by horrendous trials. We can see even as a young lad that he fought wild animals taking care of his dad's sheep. His own family misunderstood him, often querying his motives. He was a man who spent most of his time on the run from a volatile and unstable King Saul. He saw his nearest and his dearest die. His best friend Absalom, who was Saul's son. We saw his own son. Sorry, his, his, his best friend Jonathan. We saw his, old, his own son Absalom being killed. We saw his infant son die. And we saw his right-hand man in battle, Job, die. He fought giants, he fought armies, he fought wicked kings. We, he saw his own kingdom split, which must have hurt him most. He committed murder, adultery. He suffered heartbreak, guilt, depression, cold, fear, hunger. And I think it's important to sketch that life or to sketch a picture of David's life because we can see that his, 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 um, his trials were varied. I mean, and they were so regular right throughout his life. Like even when he was an old man sitting on his throne, his life wasn't all together then as well. He was on the run from King, King Saul. And then when he was in his prime, when he was on his throne with all the backup and reinforcements and friendships that he had, he still was tormented by trials. And you would think that the people who watched his life would say, you know what, David, of all the people, you have the best reason of all to doubt God's goodness in your life. Why do you still cling to him? Why don't you just turn your back on God? I mean, things are not working out well for you. But then we see 
in verse 3. Look at his boldness in verse 3. David is having none of this. He says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet, David says, I will be confident. Now, what gave David such confidence? I mean, none of us have been in battle physically in war. I'm sure it must be a terrifying thing. And yet, David says, though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Some of you might be thinking, you know what? I'd like to be more like David. I'd like to find out what gave him this confidence. Alec Mautier, a commentator, an Irish commentator actually, commentating about that last part of verse 3, though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. He writes, faith is sufficient, even when enemies become armies and enmity becomes open warfare. So it was faith and trust in God that gave him this confidence. Some of you might be saying, but that's, that's too simple. Well, that's it. It was faith and trust in God that gave David this confidence. You know, even in Psalm 34, he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now, there's no doubt that David was a man of extremely varied and talented abilities. He was a great man of war. He was brave. He could be tender and considerate and loving and passionate. He had plenty of resources. He had plenty of friends as well as enemies. But he didn't depend on these abilities to get him out of trouble. He didn't depend on these abilities to help him to lead God's people. He humbled himself so much more than Saul before the Lord. Remember when Saul had a thorn in his side when all the ladies and the women of the land were singing that David had slain more than him? Remember how he allowed that to burn him up and to get upset and angry and tormented? <laughs> that didn't happen with David. He just put his confidence in the Lord and said, the Lord, Lord, you're helping me. You're helping me do these things. I think really if we think about these things today, we would probably say that it's only when we humble ourselves, when we recognize who God is, primarily his holiness and how different we are to him, his power, his majesty, that we can actually see ourselves as who we are, so completely different to God, that we are humbled, like Isaiah, like um, Isaiah in chapter 6, the prophet, when he went into the throne of God and he threw himself on the ground and he said, man, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. This is the great prophet Isaiah, the man who followed the Lord diligently. And yet, when he saw the holiness of God, he became broken. Like Paul, who went through a life of trials as well, at the end of his life, what did he say? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. I think the closer you get to God, the more you see your own sin. So David is riding this wave of confidence in verses 1 to 3. We could just close up our Bibles now and just go home and, and say, well, hey, we give David a high five. It's good to have confidence in the Lord um, through faith. And let's just leave it at that. But now we see in the next handful of verses, we see David, David's mood slip from one of, one of celebration into one of contemplation as we look at his first of two prayers. And this one we could summarize as, God, be near to me. 
So the faith and confidence of the first three verses were not founded, as we said, in anything that David had. They were founded in his faith in God, who he knew from experience was a deliverer and was a stronghold for him. John Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. In other words, prayer is the primary way in which true faith expresses itself. So it's a reflection on David's heart for prayer that he wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. He was a man who spent much time on his knees. And in these verses, we now, we now, we now found, find him drawing near to God, asking him, if you look at them, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, verse 4. And later on in verse 4, to inquire in his temple. It's a beautiful expression of a desire of David to draw near to God, to be in his presence. Look at the lovely tender language there. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And we see in this language the clear love that David has for God, that he wants to live with him all the days of his life. And this beauty of the Lord is an expression of his goodness to him. And David realizes that it's only when he's in the presence of the Lord, when he fellowships closely with him, when he draws near to the Lord in his tent, in his temple, that his fears will be banished, and therefore he can be confident. Because David says, he will hide me in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a rock. Do these words and these phrases, do they, do they encourage you? For he will hide me in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. When David looks out for his people, when God, sorry, when God looks out for his people, when he sets them up firmly on the rock, what can we do? What can we do? We can only do one thing. We can rejoice. And this is what David anticipates now in verse 6. He says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will, make, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. What thoughts run through your head as you read these handful of verses? about David's confidence in the Lord and his eagerness to pray, which showed his faith. Well, it seems to me that that might depend on where you are maybe spiritually this morning. If you're going through a period in your life where things are good, where you're seeing spiritual growth, where life is good, you could say, you might well identify with, with David. You might be encouraged by his example and keep going the way you're going. Or maybe you might read those verses and David's admirable dependence on the Lord might cause you to get a little bit deflated as you look at your own life. And maybe you might ask yourselves questions like, do I really believe that God will enable me to withstand the storms of my life? My life or do I still depend on myself to fix things? Or you might ask yourself, do I consistent, consistently seek the Lord in prayer? You know, some might be thinking of the great characters in the Bible uh, and say, well, look, it's only them, it's only those people that had this great faith. God doesn't deal with me like he deals with them. Maybe God doesn't value me as much as he valued them. 
Well, let me encourage you, friends, this morning to say that's not true. Just as David prayed that his desire was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to be hidden in his shelter, to be covered by his tent, and to acquire in his temple, in order to be close to God, the writer of Hebrews as well reflects the same thing. Open up there Hebrews chapter 4, if you want, verse 14. And there's a wonderful verse in there where the sentiment of David's heart is echoed by the writer of Hebrews. And in that particular verse, speaking about drawing close to the throne of God, the writer of Hebrews writes in verse 16, sorry, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, friends, note the manner in which we are to draw near to the throne of God. We're not to draw near with fear. We're not to draw near with this idea that I'm not valued by God, that God values these super saints like David and Abraham and Moses more. But we're to draw near without fear or without doubt in our Heavenly Father, that we're not to draw near thinking our Father might want to rebuke us in some way or chastise us as correct us, but that we're to draw near, the writer of Hebrews says, in confidence, the same prayer that was on David's heart. Confidence that we may receive mercy, which means not receiving what we deserve, and that we may find grace, which means receiving what we don't deserve. Isn't that wonderful? In our time of need. So, the message of the Old Testament in this particular psalm is reflected by the writer of Hebrews as well, and it's just as relevant to our hearts today as it was to David. <clears throat> And notice as well, when can we draw near to the throne of God? When does God want you to, throw, to, to draw near? Well, some might say all the time, and that's true, but particularly in our time of need. Because God knows that when we go through trials, that's when we're going to be weakest. That's when we're going to be vulnerable. And that's when we're going to need to draw near to the, trial, to the, uh, to the throne of God. Does this encourage you? that you're able to walk up to the very throne of God, the creator of this earth, and be able to find mercy and grace. I think it encourages us because the only way we can do that is if Jesus leads us in through the doors up to the throne. But it's because of Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf that we have any right to have any sort of access right to God. The prophet Habakkuk said, the righteous shall live by faith. And it's only by our faith in God that we can have access to his throne. So coming into the presence of God to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, it's, 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 it, it's a, a note of encouragement to the believer in times of trials. Because we know that trials knock the stuffing out of us, don't they? Um, they're like, we're like sheep that tend to wander when we're going through trials. We begin to perhaps not trust the shepherd. We begin to trust, not trust the shepherd that he will indeed find us pastures green and lead us beside the still waters. 
we might think that we can sort out the trials ourselves better, relying on our own abilities and resources and intelligence. And now we see David moving from a particular um, emotion of contemplation into what many of us experience during our trials, a period of, of crying. As we see in verses 7 to 12, we could summarize them at God, answer me. And in these verses, David is wrestling with God in prayer, pleading him to answer him. You might identify this morning with David as you read them. David comes to God crying aloud. He doesn't come with an indifferent posture, but like a child who comes to his parent knowing that his parent intends all good things for him. You know, prayer to David was not a stiff exercise in duty. He was passionate about prayer. It involved his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength. It was an expression of his love for God. I mean, it looks like this was the pattern of his prayer. Often, Psalm 69 speaks about this crying aloud to God. David says, I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. I'll read that again. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. All of David's strength and emotions are being oozed out of him when he comes to the throne of God and when he praises. He leaves nothing behind him. He's exhausted after prayer. He was fervent in prayer. Like Jacob who wrestled with God all night, he wouldn't leave prayer until he got some answer from God, whether it was no or yes or maybe or not yet. Notice, please, be gracious to me, he says. Answer me. Don't hide your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. What a difference this is to the first couple of verses where we had David confidently state his faith in the Lord. But even though David now is going through a period of doubt and seeking, we can see clues there that he hasn't despaired. He's not thrown the towel in. Look at verses 9 and 10. God has been his help and his deliverer in verse 9. And now verse 10, God will take him in. It's only when we trust in God's good intentions and love towards us that we can truly trust in the goodness, in his goodness towards us, and that we can keep on praying with any great meaning. It's very hard to, come in, to go into your, to, to pray, to get down on your knees of an evening or a morning or whatever, and to pray to God if you doubt his goodness. It just saps all the spiritual energy from you. And if you do do that, you'll find your prayer is shallow and often empty. So to come to God in prayer, we need to work on the premise that he is out for our good. Even though, as David alludes to there, that his father and mother um, forsook him, whatever that means, some people uh, think that, well, when David went into Moab, or David sent his parents into Moab, when he was on the run, when things started to get a bit too, too hot for him, and in a, in, a, in a manner, he feels that maybe his father and his mother forsook him or whether they actually forsook him, we don't know. But anyways, I think the point here is that the Lord will take him in. So 
You know, when we read about fathers and mothers even forsaking David, we can see that um, this is a serious predicament that he was in emotionally. And even people in this room now might identify with him and realize that perhaps their own parents have not been the best examples in their lives that they could have been. Um, that perhaps interaction and bad parenting between them and their parents has somehow damaged them and they find it difficult to trust anyone. Um, they find it difficult to uh, build up meaningful relationships and keep meaningful relationships. Um, even though parents can be bad parents, even though parents can forsake, and even though parents can hurt us as children, and that hurt stays with us for much of our lives, God will never forsake us. That's not his style. So if you have been hurt, if you have been forsaken by a parent, if you've been damaged in some way by a parent or parents, it's God's desire to make you love again, to make you feel like you are meant to feel, to make you feel that you are his child, that you are made in his image. And we know that of all people, God was the most compassionate of God's. He's the most loving of God's, the most gracious of God's, the most sharing of God's. And he wishes to work on you, to make you change into this sort of character, this sort of man, this sort of woman. So David also looks to God to teach him, as well as he's going to teach us through the Holy Spirit and how to, what way we should go to repair ourselves, to make us look more like Jesus. David also looks for him to teach him how to deal with his enemies. And we're sort of back here again with David's physical enemies or the enemies of Israel again. And he, he, he says two things. He prays two things or he asks two things of the God, which we, which we can apply to our own personal lives. The first thing he says, lead me on a level path. Notice David doesn't say, Lord, would you take all these trials and these enemies away from me? Just let me live happily on my throne in Israel. Give me some good times. I've suffered enough. But what David is asking the Lord here is that he remove some obstacles and put his feet on level ground so he can deal better with these trials. He's not taking the easy card and running. He's saying, Lord, you have me here for this, in this time for this particular purpose. Help me now glorify you. Help me deal with these trials. Help me walk through these trials like the man that you want me to be. And this then overflows into encouragement. Read the second part there, verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, he says. Now, according to some, this is the reason why the psalm was written, asking God to deliver him from these false witnesses, whoever they were. We can only guess, but certainly their intention towards David's were wicked and deadly, we can read out, and they breed out violence. And all David can do is to seek God's help and let him teach him. So from communion with God, from these two last prayers of God, uh, with God, David now is so encouraged that he can exhort. And the last handful of verses, 13 and 14, we could summarize them as, wait on the Lord. We can see the emotion and the mood has changed here again. We read 13 and 14. 
I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we've had this roller coaster ride of David's emotions today. We've seen him going from confidence in the opening handful, then into contemplation, and then into crying, and now he's in a mood of triumph here again. He's wrestled with the Lord, and he's been restored. You know, how do you feel when you pray to the God for deliverance, when you pray to, to God for deliverance, and he delivers you? How does it make you feel? It surely encourages us, doesn't it? Now, we might, as I said earlier, get the answer to our prayers that we always want. But when we do get the answer, when our will is running along the will of God, along the same lines, it gives us tremendous encouragement. And it's then that we can encourage others because our faith is strong at that time. And this is, I think, what David is experiencing here. He now exhorts Israel to wait on the Lord to deliver them from their enemies, whatever battle they were facing at that particular time. So we can see, just casting a quick eye back, that David lived a, a life of highs and lows, a bit like us. Maybe our highs and our lows certainly mightn't have been like David's, but they are equally relevant in our lives. There were major pushbacks against David throughout his life. And let's just look again at verse 12. Does it remind you of anyone? Give me not up, says David, to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Does that remind you of any other man in Scripture? Does it not remind you of Christ? He too came up against false witnesses, determined to breathe out violence against him. Like David, he too breathed or prayed to the Father for deliverance that if it were possible that this cup of judgment, this cup of God's wrath would be taken from him. But no, it wasn't God's will. And we thank God that Jesus was obedient at that time. We thank God that Jesus went to the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could have access to the throne of God and come up boldly to him in confidence, seeking grace and mercy. We can be so thankful for Luke 22 when Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God's passion is to redeem sinners, you and me in this room. From the horrors of the cross, Jesus has delivered a people for himself and given us victory in our, over our enemies and our chief enemies, sin and death. So that we can sing like David at the very end there. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I hope that uh, people were encouraged today by your word. I hope, Lord, that different people got different things from this message. Um, I pray, Father, that we would look again at Psalm 27 this afternoon, this evening, or sometime during the week and maybe glean something differently from it or see something that uh, I didn't see. Lord God, we just thank you. Um, we thank you for, Lord, I know it sounds weird, but we thank you for our tough lives. Um, even, even Paul in, in, in Romans 5 said that we rejoice in our sufferings uh, because sufferings produces endurance and that produces character and that produces hope. 
David didn't pray for all his, the barriers to an easy life be removed, but let us pray today as well as David did that um, you would enable us to cope with our trials um, while glorifying you that uh, we wouldn't uh, go running away from the flock, that we would seek help from, from you, Lord, and we would seek help from our brothers and sisters when we do go through trials. Lord, because it's only by supporting one another uh, that we will be able to overcome them, Lord, and looking to you. So, Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this message. And uh, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.